Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee O'Brun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is now in its, uh, I think it's 67th episode. And if you are a long-time listener or a, or a return listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation. Thank you guys once again for lending me your ears. Thank you. Truly appreciated. Again, I'd like to give some, some, a couple of little uh, uh, acknowledgments. First and foremost to the people that have been uh, following our Instagram page. Thank you for uh, following and leaving me a couple of messages in the, uh, in the uh, Instagram inbox. And my Instagram is whose world is this 2021. That's whose world is this 2021. Thank you. The, if you're not comfortable leaving messages on Instagram or whatever, and you have any kudos, questions, concerns, criticisms, business inquiries, especially, definitely email me at whose world is this 21 at gmail.com. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for the cash apps. My cash app is dollar sign June Bow. Dollar sign J U N B E A U. Appreciate the cash apps. There've been a couple of little donations here and there and they and definitely um um I want everyone out there to know how grateful I am for those. My Venmo is J U N B E A U June Bow. It's without the dollar sign. Uh thank you guys for that. Uh, chaveshouse.com I really appreciate you guys going and picking up the journals the self-publishing books the fitness journals the daily journals the decorative notebooks at chaveshouse.com that's chavez with an s by the way not with a z that's c-h-a-v-e-s house.com also on amazon you can go to chavez house publishing and make sure that the books you're publishing are by lenore batista because that's the only author we have under chavez house publishing right now i'll be the next author under chavez house publishing i'm publishing something uh it's 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 uh it's slow in the process people give me give me some time but i've been using lenore batista's how to be a successful self-publisher blueprint which can be found on chavezhouse.com that book was number one in its genre so it would behoove you not to use a book about how to be a successful self-publisher that was successful in its own right yeah you might want to do that very important in any case thank you guys for tuning in um you guys know usually i um i usually name an episode when i get started and i kind of use that episode title as a way to stay on track or on course because i have a propensity to ramble a bit and when i know the title it keeps me in the loop it keeps me you know you know on track as so to speak but I don't have to do that today only because um, I'm going to be speaking about one subject in particular. And it's about what's going on in the United States v. Ukraine v. Russia, that dynamic. Um, usually, you guys know, I don't speak about current events. I consider current events and how we speak about them to be low-hanging fruit to a certain degree. Because oftentimes I'll notice that... Uh, platform and content creators or context creators will find a way to just plug things out of the headlines so they can get you know followers or or, or listeners or whatever i don't do that um the things that i speak about i feel are necessary for 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 human beings i feel that if they want to be more informed about something i oftentimes may bring up a perspective that may be considered unpopular or may be counter to predominant narratives but i feel that it's important 
that that be inserted into the conversations for us to be able to make informed decisions and come up with informed opinions about a particular thing, right? And informed opinions, almost an oxymoron, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. So, you know, when I notice that certain things are tilted in a certain, in a particular direction, then I say, okay, do I have something to offer that's counter to that to make up, especially if I find myself in a position where I'm hearing something and I go, oh, wait, no, wait, you forgot that. Oh, wait, you forgot to say, oh, wait, no. Oh, that's a lean. Oh, that's, that's an agenda. Oh, wait, that's a premise. Oh, that's, that can't be proven. That's on. And once I, once I, I start arguing with what I'm reading or what I'm listening to, then I know that's perfect, perfect uh, ingredients for one of the, for one of these episodes. Because and especially when I notice that everyone starts to parrot the same lockstep rhetoric, which is what it is. If you guys don't know that by now, we've had this conversation before. You are not going to be informed or educated, illuminated by your mainstream media and your mainstream publications. They can't. These are these are these are are, are are these media outlets are governed by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. They can't just say what they think the truth is. How do I know that? Well, because Julian Assange, who's not a journalist, who just had a website where he allowed people to uh, upload information. There was more information about what your government and your military was really up to and what your corporations were really up to. That little website gave us more information about what was going on than all of your multi-million dollar journalists at their multi-billion dollar networks combined. So they're not getting paid to tell you the truth. Remember what Roger Ailes said. Roger Ailes, now deceased founder of Fox News, said Americans want to feel informed. They don't necessarily want to be informed. Now, is he right? Maybe. The reason why I say he possibly is right is because, you know, we have to look at psychology. I've said it before. The Jesuits and the Aristotelians have said it long before. They said, if you give me the child by the, from, from their first birthday to their seventh birthday, I will show you the man. Or in, in, in any other case, the woman. In their first seven years, you give me that child when they're in that they're in that still in that hypnotic stage where everything has to be repeated back to them over and over again, where they're learning their songs, their ABCs and their AEIOUs and their I before C before when they're learning this to sing and one plus one equals two. And they're in that repetitive. If you can get them from one to seven, you have the man. I'll take it a step further. If you show me what you've been taught from sixth from first grade at six years old to your 18th birthday, at that moment, no matter how much truth you get to the contrary, if you bought into what you were told between, your, between six years old and 18, there's a very good chance that I will not be able to convince you otherwise, no matter how much stark evidence I have to the contrary, contrast to what you believe. It will be difficult, if not impossible. You will always find a... Yeah, but do you know those people out there? I know you guys know. You're coming with information, dates, times. You are strapped like Rambo with information. And they hit you with the, yeah, but. And you find yourself losing air like you're in a, like you're in a marathon trying to convince this yeah, but person. And you realize that your one conversation is not going to make up for what their, their, their teacher told them. 
and their mom told them and their dad told them and Hollywood told them about what's going on. And so here you come with your little dates and your times and your facts. Forget your facts. I got Hollywood. I have, I have movies and media and people and, and, and teachers, authorities. I don't call myself an authority. I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. What I am is someone who's going to bring information that is possibly not parroted, but is possibly necessary for you to have an actual informed opinion about a particular situation, event, etc. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example. Today, I got a message while I was at the gym. And the message was from a friend of mine from the Netherlands. And um, she was interested in contacting one of our friends who's from the Ukraine. How do I know these people? Well, while I was in Cambodia, this is very interesting. It's very, very interesting that it all happened in Cambodia because Cambodia plays an interesting part in the United States-Russia dynamic. So it's interesting that I'm in Cambodia. It's interesting that the people that I was volunteering to help in Cambodia just happened to be third generation, second, third generation victims of the proxy war that existed between the United States and Russia. Hello. See, I've been to the places that people comment about on the ground. You know, I'm, I'm not using that as a flex. I'm not, I'm not saying that to brag or, or, or to feel superior. I'm just saying there are people who watched Chuck Norris movies in the 80s about Vietnam. And then there's some of us who went to Vietnam and actually went to the Veterans Memorial and went and spoke to Vietnamese who were in their, 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 their 60s and 70s and who lived through the Vietnam War. Some of us were there, not speaking to them in America, speaking to them while they're there. Some of us see where the landmines still are located from those wars. Some of us have gone to the hospitals and have seen, you know, the pictures of the people that were the, the men, women and children, the farmers that were maimed when superpowers collide. There's this old Ethiopian proverb that goes, when elephants collide, it's the grass that suffers. OK, so I've been where the grass has been suffering and I've spoken to those blades of grass. So does that mean you should listen to me? I'll let you. Um, I don't know. Would you rather listen to people who, who have their um, their uh, their copy bought and paid for by the government or by um, the corporations and they have to just sit there and read off of a teleprompter? Would you rather listen to them or would you rather listen to your teacher who's never been anywhere? you know, took a course at a college or a university and meanwhile they think they know stuff but they haven't even questioned any of the things that they learned because they just were trying to get their grade. You know, meanwhile I've risked my grade plenty of times because I didn't believe the predominant rhetoric going into my 18th birthday. As a matter of fact, when they said between the ages of one and seven, if you, if you allow me to convince them of a thing, they're going to believe that thing till their dying day practically. Show me that. Give me that kid until their seventh birthday and I'll show you the man. Guess what? I started questioning things by my seventh birthday. And by that, by that birthday, I started realizing the things that people were telling me, I couldn't exactly take it on fact. I just didn't have a way of getting other information. And then you add another seven. By the time I turned 14 and I was in high school, now I have certain freedoms and I still had that, that thirst to know 
what exactly is because I realized my authority figures or people that were put in front of me as authority figures, I wasn't recognizing them as such. So I had to go out and find information. So by the time I was 14, 15 years old, I was already adept at the counter narrative of what I was told. And I realized how advantageous it was to certain power structures for me to believe or for me to buy in to what I was being told. So by the time I turned 18, <laughs> time I turned 18, I wasn't indoctrinated. I had flipped everything that they told me on its ear. I, I was going through all kinds of transparency crises because I was like, yo, what is real then? Because none of this is real. You know, not to be facetious, but I'm going to be quoting a couple of Russian dictators in this particular segment since we're speaking about the United States and Russia. I thought, why not, you know, um, quote one of the more prominent Russian leaders of the 20th century? You know, many believe that he should be brought up on war crimes, but hey, he should stand in line because there are a whole lot of uh, uh, he should be brought up there are a whole lot of uh, leaders of the 20th and 21st century that should be brought up on war crimes. He said something that's very important, though. He said education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. Education is a weapon because if you're not being informed, then it means you're being malinformed, disinformed, misinformed. And for what reason and for what aim and for what purpose is so it's because at, by the time you turn 18 and you have the right to fight and you have the right to vote, you've already been indoctrinated in a particular dogma and ideology. OK, I'll repeat it again. Education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. Very, very important. Are you being educated or are you being indoctrinated? So many, many of the people that I've been speaking to over the last mm, couple of weeks. And I've been speaking about Russia for decades. I've been speaking about Putin for a long time. Who he is and who he isn't. And I'm going to say this from the outset. The United States is not a teddy bear and Russia is not a polar bear. Can we get that out the way? Because if you remember in the last couple of episodes, I said, guess what? And I, I can't remember the name of the man who said, I think it was Albert Mails who said that um, the deliberate removal of nuance is tyranny. Did you hear what I just said? The deliberate removal of nuance is tyranny. Mm. So. We can't look at someone as just the hero or the villain. It's not as binary as we'd like it to be. Oh, we're the hero on this side or they're the hero. This is the victim. This is the, the, the um, predator. Hmm? This is the perpetrator. This is the victim. This is the predator. This is the prey. This is the hero. This is the villain. That would be nice and convenient, right? But it lacks something. Nuance. And the deliberate removal of nuance is what I've been seeing at every single last one of your major outlets and news outlets and from your politicians and from your political leaders, from your, 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 your uh, major uh, talking heads, at your major corporate mainstreamed media, the removal of nuance. What's the nuance that's been removed? Well, one of the nuances that's been removed is that Russia in 2022 is just like the U uh, USSR and the Soviet Union of 1972 or 1982. And that's just not the case at all. Aesthetically, economically, philosophically, it's not. It's not the same country, not the same country. 
it, it can't even operate in those same dynamics because of what it once was and how the world has changed. So there are a lot of people who will hit you with the yeah, but you know what that yeah, but is that yeah, but means that from first grade to your 18th birthday, from your sixth birthday to your 18th birthday, you were told the thing about Russia. And if I tell you anything to the contrary of that, you will give me a yeah, but. Because like I said, I grew up on Chuck Norris movies, those horrible Chuck Norris movies. First of all, they're not they're horrible because I didn't like Chuck Norris's brand of martial arts. That's one. And two, they were hokey. I didn't like them. And then as I got older, I realized how the propaganda machine works in Hollywood. And let me let me ask you a question before we even get into um, the politics of it all. When was the last time a Russian played a victim in a movie you were watching? When was the last time a Russian played the victim in a movie you were watching? When was the last time a Russian played a sympathetic figure in a narrative on this side of the planet? When was the last time they were the hero in a narrative on this side of the country? Whether you are watching a Chuck Norris movie in the 80s and 70s or a James Bond movie via Roger Moore or Sean Connery over there because you know uk and us are the first nato nations we'll get to that so it's not by accident you know you uk and us were walking in lockstep with the same rhetoric hmm? so when was the last time hmm? that that a russian was a sympathetic figure a russian government or a russian leader or russian in in playing a protagonist in a in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a movie or a play or a sitcom or something. When was the last time? Has not the Russian people, Russian government, Russian political leaders been caricatured, diminished into these one dimensional sort of aggressive, duplicitous, communistic big bear with their fangs hanging out individuals? Do we look at them as full three dimensional human beings at all? It seems the only people that we look at as possibly victims are Russian citizens that are on the ground, right? Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the victims of their government. But every time, if you, if you go watch Rocky and you have Ivan Drago, you have Chuck Norris movies when he's in Vietnam and he's, he's going back and he's fighting those evil Vietnamese communists uh, in, in the north. Um, or you have all of those movies, whether it's the Rambo movies. Do you notice that the, the, the rhetoric is still the same? Hmm? You think it's by accident that we do not have a multi-layered socialized system. So when you're watching these movies and then you're listening to your media and then you're listening to your teachers and you're getting this three or and then you're listening to your family, this three or four or five pronged approach. That's telling you Russia bad, U.S. good, because that's that's the binary of it, right? The removal of the nuance says Russia bad, U.S. good. It's like you're speaking to a puppy and you can only use one or two syllables at a time. And that's how people respectfully to a lot of my friends. But I have to say this. One of the people that sounded like that has a Ph.D. in international studies, is a well-published uh, 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 professor who happens to have spent a ton of time in Russia in the Cold War and as late as 2018. Okay. So they were there for, for the cold war 
as well as how it is today. And when I spoke to him and we had a robust conversation, it's one of the reasons why I decided to do this particular platform. I may do two of these just because I'm, I, see, I notice I'm ranting. But this is important for me to preface a lot of what I'm saying before I get into it. Just for people to, for a moment to maybe, we've talked about this before, own your bias. And it's okay. It doesn't make you wrong. But own your bias. Own the fact that you think USA good, Russia bad. Democracy good. Uh, uh, socialism bad, capitalism good, communist bad. It's okay. It's okay for you to go there. Capitalism bad. Capitalism good, socialism bad. Okay. So as soon as we have a conversation about what's going on in a country that may be considered socialistic in nature or may be considered communistic in nature, immediately your triggers are, are, are aroused and you're saying, up. Oh, Oh man, oh you know, you gotta you gotta watch those guys over there. You gotta watch those, you gotta watch those communists. And meanwhile, the communists are saying you gotta watch those greedy capitalists, man. They expand, they call everything democracy and free market. Meanwhile, they do what we do, but yet they got their machine making it look kinder and friendlier. There's an argument for that. America made its money off the slave trade, but here we are, the free market. I don't wanna have that conversation right now. We'll have that conversation later. But what I'm trying to say is own your bias. If you have one, could you sit there as an independent arbitrator with Russia on one side pleading its case and the United States on another side pleading its case? Could you? Could you sit there as an independent arbitrator and make a distinction, suspending your bias, whether you're a co capitalist or a communist, whether you're pro-America or pro-this or anti-that, no matter what it is? Could you sit there as an independent arbitrator? And go through an arbitration where Russia is on one side speaking. Putin is here saying, hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is how I see things. And the United States is on the other side. And they're coming to you who's free of bias and free of the dogmas that can cloud the judgment as to how this should proceed or what should be the next course of action that is at least equitable or judicious. And they're going to you and saying, listen. Help. The U.S. believes that you're that person and Russia believes you're that person. Are you that person? Because the people that I spoke to, they're not. They can't. They don't have enough information. They don't have enough. They don't have even as much information as I had going to Cambodia. I was in Cambodia. So that person who called me from the Netherlands, this is hot off the presses today. I was in the gym. My phone buzzed. I was listening to music. I looked and it said, hey, June, have you spoken to such and such recently? I said, actually, I haven't spoken to him in a couple of years. The last time I checked up on him was, you know, a couple of years ago on social media. It was like, OK, I'm looking for him because, you know, in the Netherlands, where we are, where I'm at right now, you know, we've opened up our borders to Ukrainian refugees. And, you know, if I can make any provisions for he and his family, if he's in need, I'd love to help him out. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go online right now and look for him because I actually he popped into my head yesterday, but I forgot. He popped in my head right before I went to sleep. I thought, how's such and such doing through all of this, you know? But I know he does a ton of traveling, too. You know, I, obviously, I'm, a man is from Ukraine, and I meet him in Cambodia. So in any case, he was a good guy. So in any case, I looked for him, couldn't find him. I'm going to look for him a little later. But she said she was going to try to, you know, relocate another friend of ours who lives in uh, Chile, who's in Bolivia at the moment, I think, and uh, Chile, and going to find out if maybe he was in contact, okay? What I'm trying to let you know is I was sitting at a table. In Cambodia, ironically, which was 
a, uh, a location of a proxy war that occurred with the United States and Russia where these, these kids that I'm, I'm trying to help out, their parents and grandparents were affected directly from the United States dropping bombs and Russia dropping bombs on them. And it all happened in black and brown countries. Colored countries felt the brunt. Colored countries felt the brunt of this, these, these superpower battles. It didn't happen on the shores of the United States, and it didn't happen in the contiguous Russian, uh, in the Russian landmass. You know where it happened? Happened in South America. Happened in Central America. Happened in Southeast Asia. It happened in Africa. That's where it happened. That's where it happened. That's where the war between the United States, that's where World War III, all of this World War III talk I'm hearing from people, I hope this doesn't turn into a World War III. Have you not been watching the world? Have you not seen what's going on in Syria, in North Africa, in Central Africa, in South America, in the Caribbean for the last 70 years? World War III? There is a contention amongst many brown and colored people all over the world that they've already gone through their World War III. They're, they're, they're trying to get over their World War III. They're, they don't know how, how much worse it could get. And, and, and guess what? That hasn't ended. Things that were going on in Syria, things that went on in North Africa, Gaddafi, the United States and the French and everyone just entering into sovereign territory, helping kill a, a, a president that was sitting on the uh, s sitting, a presiding uh, a leader of a state, us entering into certain countries through back channels without that country's uh, uh, permission. United States and Pakistan, when we snatched up Osama bin Laden and said, yep, mine, nine out of 10 Pakistanis said that, you know, doing that without the government, uh, uh, government's permission is absolutely wrong that you what you did was weaken the sovereignty of our nation but yet the americans went oh, yeah, people in the u.s was like yeah that's osama we got to get osama like listen listen removal of nuance so so you're saying it's okay in certain instances like oh yeah it's osama so we got to go and snatch him up so it's okay to jump into another country what if there's a soldier or what if there's a politician in the united states whose decree, whose legislation has led to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of deaths in another country. And, and, and the military from that other country decide to swoop down in the middle of the night and snatch that particular politician or snatch that particular citizen up and say, you know what? Mine. You have to be careful. So you're saying the oppression, repression and suppression is okay. As long as it's, you know, you know, we're taking care of it in the name of freedom, justice and equality. Right. Is that what you're saying? Because that's what kind of looks like. So in any case, I'm going to speak about this. Um, um, so we're looking for my friend now, uh, colleague, because I sat at a table in Cambodia. Across the street from the orphanage around 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's when we got to drink because it's hot outside. It's burning up. And we're sitting there and we're drinking and we're drinking hot whiskey and lukewarm beer in 104 Cambodian heat. At the table is a Chilean, a Bolivian, Dutch, Norwegians, Boliv uh, 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 American, Russian and Ukrainian. Sitting together every, every night, eating together, 
drinking together, talking together, asking, our, asking each other those real questions. Actually, there's a picture that I have, and I remember the caption. It used to be on my Facebook where it says, the media and governments and our teachers do not want us talking like this. They don't want us in this room. And I, and I actually put teachers in there because I had to push back on one of my teachers from years ago back in high school. Um, uh, they don't want us speaking like this. They don't want us to have this conversation. These are the conversations that they try to make sure that we don't have. Where I got to sit there and speak to a Ukrainian and a Russian who were sitting right next to each other and have a conversation about Ukraine and Russia. Have this Ukrainian, talk, I'm not going to mention his name, but talk about the way he spoke about Putin. It was not in the same way that you're hearing Putin being spoken about today. So when I spoke to my professor over the last couple of days, because he listens to this podcast, he actually enjoys it. I'm happy that he enjoys it, actually, because he was a good teacher. He wasn't great, but he was good. I'll tell him. I, and I told him that. I said, you know, a lot of the information that you guys were told, you know, to get your Ph.D., you have to oftentimes parrot the rhetoric of your uh, Ph.D. advisors to get that master's degree. You have to parrot the rhetoric. So a lot of the things that they wanted to research and study, they didn't. Because they would have gotten a C instead of an A. Because it wasn't about how e the efficacy of what you were saying. It's about whether your teacher agreed with you or not. I pushed back on a lot of grades from a lot of PhDs that didn't agree with me. But I said, cite my sources. Go look at my sources and go check the efficacy of my argument. And if, you and if it cannot be refuted or assailed, then I want my A. So I had a lot of B's turn into A's because I went in there and said, what's the problem? This is this is written correctly. And I cited everything correctly. But it, it, it went against conventional wisdom, which is an oxymoron, by the way, because oftentimes, you know, wisdom oftentimes flies in the face of convention. However, the conventional wisdom that allows these teachers to be tenured, these professors to be tenured. And for them to be published in major journals and then for them to get invited to these major panels, they can't start spitting rhetoric that flies in the face of the infrastructure. Hello, logic, people, we got to start using it. So a lot of these PhDs who sit there as authorities, they don't know because I had to tell my professor, I said, I said, respectfully. Um, what you are using antiquated Cold War rhetoric for, for the current events. He didn't like that. He said, really? And I said, I'll, I'll, said, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you exactly why. He said, I said, I'll prove it. He said, how can you prove it? I said, um, when was the first time you went to uh, uh, Russia? He said, I went into the Soviet Union in the late 1970s. I said, okay. <clears throat> uh, when was the last time you went? He said, I went in 2018. I said, is it the same? He said, oh, no. Not at all. I said, well, what do you mean by not at all? Are you saying oh, they have a couple of more paved roads? They have a couple of more fast food restaurants. They have a couple of more drive throughs a, a mini mall, mall, no more bread lines. Like, what do you mean? Not at all. He said, oh, it's fundamentally different. I mean, everything is different. I said, what do you mean? I mean, are you saying economically, aesthetically, everything? He said, everything. The morale of the people. He goes in, in a conversation with me, going right into my mousetrap, letting me know how Russia is 150 percent different than when he visited uh about 40 plus years ago 
and he noticed the difference between the 70s, the 80s, and then when it went through the fall of the, of the, of the Soviet Union, and, and then he transitioned to Russia, and uh, it no longer had those other states, uh, you know, part of the Soviet uh, of the, um, dynamic. And he's telling me that, oh, yeah. He said, he said, now you have a dynamic where people aren't leaving the way they were. And people want to be in Moscow. You want to be in St. Petersburg. You want to live there. You want to get an apartment there. Now it's almost too expensive to live. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm listening. I said, so you're telling me that Russia's fundamentally, totally d- down to its DNA different right now to a great degree. Yes, Vladimir Putin is an ex-KGB. And once KGB, always KGB. That's what they say about the CIA. George Bush the first was former director of the CIA. Once CIA, always CIA. Would you like me to tell you what George Bush did the first as CIA director? What he presided over, presided over as CIA director. The things that were done in Central America, in South America, in Africa, under the guise of national security. Hmm. It would, f- it would make what's going on in Russia, Ukraine right now, it would make it look like a television show, a comedy in comparison. Real talk, but we're not going to go there now. Back to the story. So I said to my professor, he's like, yeah, everything's different now. I mean, every, people want to live in Moscow. People aren't leaving. People aren't looking to get smuggled across certain borders into you know, Germany and other places. They're not looking to do that. They love it there. It's beautiful. And I've always wanted to visit. You know, and I didn't get a chance to, but, you know, I always wanted to. And, look, look, and by the looks of things, I won't be going anytime soon. But um, we'll see. Maybe I'll do a documentary there. Who knows? We'll see. But in any case, I said, so if it's fundamentally different and you've traveled there, you've done lectures there, you've studied with economists that are from there, you go there at least once every, according to him, there was a time when he was going once every three and a half to four years. But at the same time, he's always meeting with Russian intellectuals and economists and professors all the time. So they would meet at conferences in Brussels or they would meet at conferences in in Sweden or Germany, etc. So it wasn't as if he was out of touch with what was going on. He was he was um, abreast of current events. I was like, oh, really? I said, so it so it's totally different. He says totally different. I said, so if it's totally different, then why are we not having a totally different conversation? And I let that question hang in the air. And it was like a Mayweather feign, a fake left, and I hit him with the right. Because at that moment, he was like, hmm, yeah, okay, well, you know, June, you make an interesting point. I said, well, to call that point interesting is to diminish the point that I'm making. That point isn't interesting. It's central. I, I said, when I took your class, I told you that Russia's not the same Russia. And you knew that already. You knew that already because you knew more about Russia than I would ever know at that point, that I could ever know at that particular point. Because you not only studied Russia, you visited Russia, you knew Russian economists, you, you wrote about it, you published papers on it. And yet you were still, even as my professor, espousing that same Cold War rhetoric that got you your Ph.D., that got you your, your bachelor's degree, your master's degree and your Ph.D. and continues to employ you. I said, that rhetoric rewards you, but it's not accurate. And when I said that, and let me tell you something, guys out there. The way I speak to you on this show, on this platform, the way I speak is the way I speak to my friends. I speak to my colleagues that way. That's why I get robust conversations out of my friends and family. That's why. 
Some of them like me for it. Some of them love me for it. Some people distance themselves from me for it because they don't have an argument to refute mine. They don't want to say that I'm right, but they, they can't prove that I'm wrong. So they just abstain from having these conversations. But the ones who decide to enter into the exercise of, of the back and forth and the volley so we can get to the truth together. And, and they know that I'm without ego when it comes to this because this, this is not about who wins or loses. We all lose if we're all being lied to. And we all win. If I stand corrected, it's a win. It's, I didn't lose anything because now I know the truth. I was losing before, you know, espousing something that wasn't true. So if someone comes to me and counters what I'm saying and hits me with the information that counters it chapter and verse, I'll, I'm going to give you a thank you like, wow, I got to sit on that. That's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know. I stand corrected. And I'm okay. and I'm not only am I OK about it, I'm happy about it. Not everybody is happy about it, because once you've invested into something that you were told since you were a year old and you were told institutionally since you were six years old, you watched it on television, you watched it play out in books in plays in movies in on TV, your newscasters, your, your teachers, every single authority figure and every single thing that you uh, interpret as legitimate in your life has told you one thing and here comes June with his big mouth ranting and raving while he needs a cup of water hold on here comes June ranting and raving yippity yapping 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 about this that and a third yeah he's right but yeah but because you've invested so much in that reality and that dogma Russia bad US good Communism, bad democracy, good. Socialism, bad consumer capitalism, good. Interesting, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, when you realize, whoa, it's a lot more nuanced than that. W wait, wait, there, there's more to that than that. Wait a minute. This is more about energy resources and oil and leverage than anything else. Because people go, wait, you know, wait, we, we can't we can't let Russia get too big. We can't. Who's we? People have to be very careful. We can't let China get too big because you know what will happen then. Huh? When I hear that, and I mean this with all due respect to friends, family, colleagues, co-workers, partners, partnerships in business, that lets me know that you haven't. You haven't read anything or you don't know anything about what's been going on in the world over the last 70 years vis-a-vis -vis U.S. occupation. You have 29 military bases in Africa. The United States has 29 military bases in Africa, military installations. Does Africa seem safe to you? Is Africa safer to you? Hmm? With those 29 bases, what are they? Only, how many countries are in Africa? 52, 54? I know we have North and South Sudan now. Okay. Okay, 29. So the majority of Africa has United States bases on it. China put one base on there. It was all over the news. Oh, problematic. China's entering into the foray in Africa. Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, in Africa, you have blood diamonds, which we benefit from. Blood copper, which we benefit from. Blood cobalt. Bl which we benefit from blood colton blood timber which we benefit from africa is the most resource rich continent on earth 
if it was allowed to be sovereign and handle its own resources, it would be the predominant superpower on this planet. It would be Wakanda. <laughs> Wakanda wouldn't be a Marvel movie. It wouldn't be a fantasy. It would be an actual reality. Africa would be Singapore. Africa would be Tokyo. Right now. Because the whole world needs Africa to sustain itself. We spoke about this before. That Colton material, 81% of all Colton is found in the Congo, in Central Africa. What is Colton? Every single flat screen that you are using right now needs Colton because Colton does not heat up. It doesn't heat up and it doesn't deteriorate at a rate that you need to con consistently replace it. It is the best metal to put in your phone. So Colton with another material creates a metal and a composite that you put it on in your laptop screen, your television screen, your tablet, your cell phone, the screens on your television. Uh, I'm sorry, in your, your screens in your car, your GPS systems. Every single screen you has has Colton. Is the Congo like Singapore? Is the Congo like Dubai? Is the Congo like Tokyo right now? No, because the West, the West is there siphoning all the goods and materials. And if a democratically elected president says, no, 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 you got to pay us fair market value for our resources, they conveniently end up deposed, coup d'etat, assassinated, exiled, incarcerated, and then someone who we like gets put in there. I don't know, people. So when we say communism bad, Russia bad, this one's good. I'll never forget this quote. This quote is from another <laughs> Russian uh, 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 leader, per se, Vladimir Lenin. He said, there are no morals in politics. There is only expedience. A scoundrel may be of use to us just because he is a scoundrel. The CIA used to have a, a slogan. He may be a dictator, but he's our dictator. So if that democratically elected official is not going along with the edicts that the United States agrees with, we will do we will go through undemocratic means to depose of or depose, dispose as Kwame Nkrumah. As Thomas Sankara, just to name a few, I can go on and on. The list is so vast that. That would have to be that my show, this whole platform would have to be on that. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to villainize the United States? No. Am I doing this to say, well, we did it. Why can't Putin do it, too? No, I'm not actually doing that. I'm saying that we out here in the West. Us Americans and people who are, quote unquote, pro the American idea. There's an idea of America that's not put into practice. And so what ends up happening is people say, well, now we're dealing with people who actually have a little bit of information about how we've gotten down over the years and conducted business over the last century. And we'll say things like, well, better us, better, better we're leading the world than them. We will use the same exact tactics, the same exact means. We will violate the same laws, ethics, ethos, moral clauses, uh, 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 human rights laws we will violate and break every one of them in the name of democracy in the guise or over the disguise of democracy and people on in the west 
will shrug their shoulders and be like, well, better us than them. That makes us complicit, people. And if that makes us complicit, then each and every last one of you people out there, you cannot be mad at a Vladimir Putin for using the same tactics that the United States uses and continues to use all over the world. That's what I'm saying. If you had a NATO that had 12 members during the Cold War and was supposed to disband after the fall of the Soviet Union, you have professors and economists and people from all over the world saying Russia is a totally different place. I have friends. I don't even want to get into the conversations with the Russian friends and the Ukrainian friends that love Russia, that go and, and, and have a peaceful relationship. Do we want to talk about what happened in 2014 where a democratically elected Ukrainian president was deposed and gotten rid of and the U.S. contributed to that because he was friendly to Russia, friendlier to Russia than he was to the United States? And now we have Zelensky, who's more pro-West, and we're okay with that. And the Ukrainian people on the ground were going through their own civil wars for, a multi, for just a multitude of reasons, a myriad of reasons. But yet, 2014, we had a Russian president deposed. United States contributed to that. Russia was up in arms, like, wait a minute. What happened to freedom, justice, and equality? How many democracies have to get overthrown and dictatorships installed? There are no morals in politics. There is only expedience. A scoundrel may be of use to us just because he is a scoundrel. That's Vladimir Lenin. CIA said he may be a dictator, but he's our dictator. As long as he's playing ball with us, it's okay. We did it all throughout South America. Any single last leader that decided that they wanted to, I don't know, do it their own way, go their own way. No, what would end up happening? A military strong man with a bunch of badges on his lapel and medals would, go, would be installed. People were wondering, where's he getting the money? Wink, wink. Where's he getting all these fancy weapons? Wink, wink. Now he's rolling down the town square in a brand new tank. Where does tank come from? We don't make tanks in this country. And now he's rolling down saying curfew at eight. Anybody found after eight will be disappeared. Ask a South American what disappeared means. Ask a, a South American journalist what disappeared means. And when you, when you follow the money and follow the ideology and follow the dogma, who installed that leader that was disappearing men, women, and children and helped destabilize an economy? Don't talk to me about Ukraine and Russia right now. If we're going to have that conversation, let's have that conversation. But let's not have that conversation with our with our political dogmas and our economic dogmas and our biases on full display nato was supposed to be 12 it is now 30 there are missiles as we speak pointed at russia from the west europe has a cozy relationship with russia 40% of Europe's oil comes from russia how did russia build back its economy where people don't want to leave well, you got Russian billionaires, Russian millionaires, Russian hundred thousandaires. You have new shops. I was looking at hotels in Moscow like two, three years ago. And I was like, oh, man, OK, I got to come out of my pocket a little bit to go to Russia. No problem. I was like, all right. I think I chose. Uh, as a matter of fact, at that time, I was e I was either going to go to. Uh, I don't remember where I was going. I was either going to go to South America. I was going to go to Russia and I was just checking out the ticket prices. And obviously it's closer to go to South America than Russia. So I said, eh, I'll go to South America. I was going to go there, go hang out. Go hang out in Moscow and chill. 
That's what I was going to do. Did you hear what I just said? Go to Moscow and chill. People don't say that in a sentence. The Russia and China have not done a great job of endearing themselves because we don't have a polit they don't have a media apparatus the same way as the United States that has permeated the hearts and minds of every single last man, woman, and child on earth. So they look at they look at the world through the guise of the United States Hollywood machine. We'll talk about it in probably the next episode. We'll speak about Edward Bernays. We'll speak about the book Propaganda. We'll speak about the book Public Relations. We'll speak about the father of public relations and how Hollywood sold us on wars, how Hollywood sold us on, 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 on who was the demon and who was the hero and who was the villain. Look at your John Wayne and look at your Clint Eastwood romanticizing the wild, wild west, removing the bigotry and the rapes and the robberies. Cowboys were officially the biggest gang in America. That was gang gang. They raped, they pillaged, they were pirates, but not when John Wayne is at the helm. Not with Clint Eastwood, not with Hollywood Spaghetti Western. It becomes this romanticized, uh, 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 you know, bucolic scene of exploring the West. It was the wild, wild West. I mean, w when you look at the, um, the advent of the U.S. Marshal and the U.S. Marshal system was put in place because of these crazy cowboys that were just doing things that flew in the face of humanity. That's what was going on. Not according to your not according to your Hollywood. So now you have, you know, places that have Western theme parks and ooh, the cowboys and Indians and they play out. And then the Indian, the red man who was here, he was the big bad wolf. Right. No nuance. Indian bad. Cowboy good. Removal of nuance. The deliberate removal of nuance is tyranny. It's propaganda. So. We're going to talk about that. So when I hear people saying, oh, man, you know, you know, Ukraine is, is sovereign and a friend, uh, not, a, not a friend of my, my professor was speaking about, well, what about Ukraine's rights? I said, Ukraine does have rights. Ukraine does have rights. Absolutely. But so does Haiti. So does all of these other countries. Let's explain something about when you say rights. <clears throat> no country right now is operating in a vacuum. No country operates in this idea of sovereignty where you can literally do exactly what you want to do. Here's, here's what's on the ground right now. Europe is getting 40% of its oil and its energy from Russia. Europe does not have the infrastructure to update to clean and renewable energy. If any of you have visited Europe, Europe is old. Um, Italy is old. <clears throat> France is old. It's old. It's an old grid. And to dig up these thousand year old monuments and, 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 and infrastructures to put in renewable energy, it's not easy. Oil prices are extremely expensive. When people hear how much we spend per gallon on oil, on gas, two, three dollars, they're spending about five, six dollars. I was in Germany. The tax breaks that they give to people if you decide to get a smart car or something like that is immense because the gas prices are that much in Europe. It's a lot of money to, to heat your home and to put fuel in your car. Luckily, there's such a robust public transportation system out there because oftentimes for some people, the, the oil and gas costs are more than the actual rent. It's real. Very, very real. 
That's why if you were to ever live in Europe, I would tell everybody, live in a warmer Europe. Do not live in cold Europe because that oil and gas bill will be the realest thing you've ever seen in your life. Seriously. Find warm Europe if you're going to live. Even I've thought about that. If I ever decided to go to Europe, I had to take that into consideration. Now there was another pipeline being built. I think that first pipeline was called Nord Stream, Nord Stream 1. That Nord Stream 1 pipeline was built. It was going to have 40, 40, Russia's economy boosted up. 40% of oil from Russia, from Europe is coming from Russia. This new pipeline would make it 70 to 80% of oil. It's a new, new and improved pipeline. Obama was against it. Trump was against it. Biden Biden was against it, sanctioned it. Like, no, 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 can't do it. No, 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 no. Because now the United States is saying, because you know what Europe is saying? Europe is saying we have a decent relationship with Russia. We know Russia doesn't have any predilections to expand. They can't. We have 30 nations under NATO. It was 12 when they were actually the Soviet Union. Now it's 30. They have comfy capitalistic relationships with many many european nations as a matter of fact ironically putin wanted to be part of nato at one point there were discussions where russia was like hey we want to be part of nato and the u.s is like which u.s pretty much controls nato why does u.s control nato why can i sit here and say oh well the u.s controls it somebody out there is listening to this going ah june thinks the u.s is in control of everything well here it is why is Britain no longer a superpower? Britain is no longer a superpower because we are no longer on the British pound. Britain had to shrink and Britain had to retract because it's no, we are no longer on the British pound. We're no longer on the sterling. We're not on their British pound anymore. The world operates, no matter how broke the United States is, no matter how, how large our deficit is, our military is still the strongest military on earth combined. And everyone is still using our currency as the means, as the means of transaction. It is the primary means of transactions. So we collect the fees and you trade in the dollar. So if you don't agree with the U.S. and you're in Europe and you don't agree with the U.S., guess what we do? Eh, we kind of manipulate the market so certain goods that you want in your country, it'll cost more. Then if I sold it to your neighbor, even though your neighbor and you are directly next door to each other, it costs the same to ship it to you. As a matter of fact, it costs less to ship it to you because you're a little closer, but I'm charging you more. I'm going to charge you 10, 15 percent more just because you wouldn't play ball. So Europe knows the United States is in great control over a lot of things that go on in Europe. One of the main reasons why the European Union was founded was because they were trying to find a way to compete with the dollar. So that's hence the reason why the euro was introduced into the world. They did not want to be that dependent on the dollar. But the euro in and of itself is unstable, still very unstable. And it's still relatively new and it's young. So here we are. Now this 80%, 70, 80% with this new Nord Stream, this new pipeline. And guess what the pipeline? Guess what the United States said to Germany? Germany was helping to fund it. United States said, listen. Um, we're going to let you, we're going to let you, um, we're not going to sanction this pipeline anymore. We're going to let you do this. But if Russia engages in any sort of military aggression, we're going to sanction this pipeline and you're going to have to shut it down. That was, that's what was said. 
So there's an antagonistic relationship that's been going on on the borders of Russia all this time. Russia looks at the United States and what it's doing using NATO as its military arm in Europe, using NATO as a means to surround it with nations that are on its border. Ukraine is on Russia's western border. And it's like you, you, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, son of Joseph Biden, our president, happens happened to be on one of the boards of Ukrainian pipeline country, uh, company back in 2018 or 2019. Hello, people. We have an incestuous, duplicitous energy relationship out there in Ukraine and Russia. We're looking for leverage, more leverage in that region. We don't want to see Russia ascend. OK. That's the game we're playing, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. That is the game. I'm not here to cast a sort of sort of a moral aspersion on what's going on. Cast any moral indictments. I'm sorry. I'm not looking to do that. I'm saying that those are the facts on the ground. You can you can do. Yeah, but Russia's the big bad wolf. OK. And, you know, we're the hero in the movie. We wear the white hat and, you know, we're the. We're James Bond, we're Rambo, we're Chuck Norris, and they're the big bad Ruskies that want to break you. Okay, we, we, we can play that. Would that be telling the whole truth? Would that be removing nuance? Possibly. Would that be removing the nuance of all the proxy wars that have occurred all over the world via these two countries just because other countries decided they may not have wanted to go America's way? And then other people go, well, psh, well that's what they got. They should have just ran with the U.S., you know what I mean? You know, they should they should have just got to play ball. If you don't play ball, don't play at all. That's what some of my friends have said. I have a friend of mine who used those terms. And I said, you do realize all of these things were happening to poor countries. And those countries are still still right now. While the United States gets to enjoy its paved roads and its drive through windows and its dog parks, that these countries are still trying to come out from under, you know, that those blades of grass are still stomped out because the giants collided just because a country actually wanted to have choices and be quote unquote sovereign. But yet the United States said, no, your sovereignty is contingent on how much you agree with us. That's your sovereignty. How do you feel about that out there? I I'm, I'm just getting started. I mean, this episode is just sort of like a, an intro, a long ranting intro, but an intro nonetheless. How do you guys feel about that? That again, <clears throat> again, the United States is involved in a military exercise that has to do with energy, that has to do with resources. Hmm? Hmm? So if you don't look like the Americans want you to look or pray to who the Americans want you to pray to, have the economic uh, 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 philosophy that America wants you to have, you become an adversary. Those three things make you an automatic adversary. America does not agree to disagree. Do you understand? They do not do that because it's the balance of power and we're trying to, we have to expand our sphere of influence because of blah, blah, blah. The United States doesn't trust the Europeans. Why? You, you know, you know the, the WikiLeaks came out and it showed you know, that the United States is spying on each and every last European leader. But the European leaders spy on the United States as well. All of these embassies are filled with intelligence agents. All of these media outlets and uh, universities and, and places. There's, there's, a, there's some sort of person that's giving information. on so Either the person is a spy or the person is being spied on. 
<laughs> that's how it is. That's how it works. That's how our intelligence apparatus works. We don't even know how many military exercises are occurring right now. I remember when I was living in Hawaii, <clears throat> I was hanging out with a couple of dudes um, who, um, you know, CIA is a big Hawaii base, is a big base for, um, um, I'm sorry, Hawaii is a big base for CIA. And I remember sometimes a couple of friends of mine, I couldn't find them for about one or two or three weeks at a time. And I started to realize after about four or five months that um, the times that they were away coincided with some things that were going on off of international waters, whether they were in China or whether or on the borders of China on borders of Russia. And I would hear it not, through, of course, not through your mainstream media. I was listening to uh, BBC Radio and Radio Ghana, some other stations just trying to get more information from other sources such as I do. Because if you think that you're such and such dot whatever in this country is going to give you the level of information you're going to need to be informed, you are sadly misinformed. So I get information from a lot of sources and I would get, you know, updates and I would go, oh, wow, that's going on. And then I noticed something. So my friends would come back. I bump into them. I'm like, yo, where were you? Oh, yeah, we had to handle some things, you know, some things for the government. I'm like, okay. But then I'm noticing. And one time at dinner, we were over drinks. I was like, you know what? I just noticed something. I said, I noticed that over the last couple of months, there have been some things going on on this side of the world. And every time it's going on, you guys are nowhere to be found. And they all looked at me with these blank faces, not not surprised, but kind of like these half grins, but just poker face. Didn't give anything away. And then I said, eh, but I digress. Next round's on me because I knew I just made the space uncomfortable. But they already just, they let me know by their reaction just exactly what was going on. They knew that I knew. Okay? And the things that were going on, people were dying. Men and women and children die. They died in Cambodia. They died in Vietnam. They died in Korea. They died in South America, in, this, in Nicaragua, El Salvador, San Salvador, the Bolivia. They died all over. They died in the Caribbean. They died in Africa. They died in Central Africa. Kwame Nkrumah was assassinated by, by intelligence officers that are affiliated with people from the West. Thomas Sankara, people who said, we don't want to be under the guise of colonialism, whether it's by the U.S. or by Europe. The West, those same NATO nations that everybody's trumpeting. I could tell you a lot about those NATO nations. And I'm not being biased when I say that. I'm saying that if we're going to make an informed decision about the goings on that are goings on, what's going on is we're treating the West, the Western allied forces and Russia and China the same way we, we, we treat our political apparatus when we go vote. We're aligning what we think we're doing is aligning with the lesser of two evils. How sustainable do you think that is? When we go to the polls to vote for these presidents, do you see the level of buffoonery that we've descended into over the last couple of election cycles? Hmm? The level of just blatant, like they can't even dress it up anymore. The level of blatant moral ambiguity and corruption and buffoonery that is on display when we look at our debate stage. It's like, really? 300 plus million people in this country and this is what we decide? Really? So now when we start having these conversations about, well, better us running things than them running things despite the evidence we say these things so that means what we're saying really is we're we're 
we're siding with the lesser of two evils. Or we think we're siding with the lesser of two evils. So that means it's not such and such is bad, U.S. is good. Such and such is bad, Britain is good. Such and such is bad, Germany is good. Such and such is bad. So it's not as simple as that, huh? Because I notice once I start unpacking it with people and giving them more and more information, they start sounding like, oh, well, you know, June, I'd rather be, you know, under the thumb of, you know, the United States than under the thumb of that one. Uh, so you would rather be oppressed, suppressed, repressed by the U.S. than the former USSR. Just say that. That's that's it. But don't act as if what's going on over there is villainy and what we're doing is heroic because what we're doing is expansion 101 aggression 101 so what they're doing could be considered the same thing or it could be considering you're backing me up against the wall because you you literally have me backed up against the wall you went from 12 nato nations to 30 how's that and you're not doing it for benevolent means you're looking to squeeze me out of the world stage and as a nation state i'm i'm sort of obligated to protect my borders and protect my people and protect my sovereignty and when people use the word sovereignty sovereignty is nuanced to be able to do what one wants to do you know <laughs> economically militarily really uh, very difficult when you're working in international markets and when people say, okay, if you want to work this way, that way, you, this is what you're going to have to do. Africa is a perfect example. It has to collect all of that aid. That aid that Africa gets keeps it, keeps it encumbered, keeps it shackled because that aid comes with restrictions. If, we, if America gives a billion dollars to Germany, it doesn't come with the same restrictions that it does when, it, when you're giving it, giving it to an African country. It's not the same thing. So we have to really check our dogmas at the door, check our biases at the door before we get knee-jerk reaction. Oh, Putin's wilding. Knee-jerk. Before we do that, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Who's we? Who's we? You have to be very careful with who and what ideologies that you automatically think that you're aligned with. Because guess what? If you get out of line, will you be able to count on that democracy? Hmm? Will you be able to count on the foundations of, of transparency and democracy if you're not in accordance? Ask J. Edgar Hoover's FBI how it felt about people that didn't like segregation. Hmm? Ask them how they felt about people who abstained from being drafted in a war to go fight for freedoms overseas but couldn't get those same freedoms at home. Ask, ask J. Edgar Hoover in the counterintelligence program how it felt when it assassinated, incarcerated, marginalized, exiled. Hmm? Malcolm X's so-called killers just were set free. Now, we don't know who killed Malcolm. As soon as Malcolm decided to turn what was going on in the United States into a human rights issue instead of a civil rights issue, looking to take the United States to the human rights court, you look at the paperwork and how the surveillance from the United States government was amped up and ramped up and tramped up. That sounds sort of communistic to me. If Russia was doing that, if Yeltsin was doing that, if Khrushchev was doing that, if Jinping or Mao Zedong was doing that, 
what would we what would we be calling these things that have occurred in the United States and that are that are just part of our history? Hmm. We'll talk about it next time. Until later.